What if I told you there were seven things that schools could do that would drastically increase school safety? And it's not going to cost an extra dime. We're going to talk about that today. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. I received a notification from my child's school, and it said there's going to be a lockdown drill at the high school. It complies with Act 143. And we are going to practice our safety procedures. We aim to ensure all students feel safe. So I appreciate that from my school district, that they're communicating that out, that they're doing safety activities. And while I appreciate being notified about this exercise, I have some questions. What specifically is the district practicing? What is the purpose of this drill? What is Act 143? What's a lockdown? What's a lockout? What's the difference? Is it the same as an intruder drill, which we hear all the time through media? Or is it something different? Will the police be there? Will other emergency responders be there? How will the students learn if they did a good job or they didn't do a good job in this exercise? And as a parent, what should I be looking for from the school afterwards? What was the school specifically measuring during this exercise? So we'll get into that and more, plus a bonus activity that school principals can use in just five minutes. Yes, five minutes. School staff can inventory their safety resources, their essential assets, fire extinguishers, AEDs, fire alarms. I'll talk about it. I'll demonstrate it at the end Hi, everyone. I am Dr. David P. Proden, and I work with educators and communities to improve school safety practices. In this show, I will step-by-step demonstrate how to improve school safety through a different way to think about safety exercise design. I've taught this framework to aspiring school leaders for years, and it's something that leaders immediately implement in their own districts. And I'm going to make it available to you, to teachers, parents, and emergency responders. There's no hitch and nothing for me to sell you other than a best practices safety mindset. Similar to my PBS school safety presentations, I've diligently curated and assembled information intended to make schools safe. Let's learn about the seven school safety exercise objectives that actually help teachers, students, parents, police, fire, and EMS. The problem, many safety exercises lack measurable learning objectives. And if they're present, they're not clearly communicated out to teachers, to students, and parents. The solution, identify areas to measure. These are called constructs and develop learning objectives informed by school officials, parents, students, and emergency responders. We have three overarching themes of this presentation, things that we are always 
keeping at the forefront. One is discretion. Who has it and how do you measure it? An example, who feels that they have discretion to pull the fire alarm? Is it a teacher? Would it be any staff member? How about a high school student that observes smoke billowing out from a classroom? Decision-making. How are decisions informed? Where are you getting your information? How do you validate your sources? Are decisions made at a brisk pace? And induction. Induction means helping people to understand how we do things around here. That's for new staff, for students and families. How are they made aware of safety protocols? We have frequent turnover in schools. So we want to make sure that we have processes in place so people understand what the expectations are. Oh, here we are, back to constructs. These are what we will measure with the exercises learning objectives. And they can also be called categories. Maybe consider a student's report card. Math, reading, science, social studies. Those are all categories, and they are all specifically instructed and specifically measured and then reported on. It wouldn't make much sense to just give a single simple grade to a student, right? But we kind of do that with school safety. It's a pass fail. It's a complete. It's a check the box. Hmm. It's a statement such as that exercise seemed to go well, or it could have gone better. Constructs help us to focus on the essential parts of an exercise as we plan it, as we conduct it, and following the exercise. Terminology, a drill. A drill is something repeat it in order to learn the skill or procedure. Every month, schools have a fire drill. Students learn how to exit the building and where to line up. The purpose of the drill. An exercise measures or studies the effectiveness of drills and systems. How long does it take for students to exit the building? Is this the best way for students to exit the building? Should they be lined up in a certain area or is that likely where emergency responders would be entering. So we don't want students in that area. So an exercise is more complex than a drill, and an exercise will usually have other partners involved, such as police, fire, and EMS. A school-only drill. These are the most frequent. A school-only drill involves school people, teachers, and students. A multi-agency exercise. This might happen once or twice a year. That includes the school, police, fire, EMS, possibly parents, maybe a board member, and other participants. Here's one of our constructs, communications. Let's think about our two-way radios in schools. Do we have sufficient numbers? Are they properly placed throughout the building? Are they functioning? Are they charged? Is the battery dead? Do some of them not have charging cradles? What's the range? Can we talk across the campus? There are thick cement walls. What if we're a block away? Can we still communicate? Are we able to communicate between schools? That might involve something called a repeater. Interoperability with all school sites, including our 4K partner sites that are in the community that might be in daycares. Are we able to communicate with those sites? Do they even have two-way radios? And is there a channel some of those radios can be turned to so law enforcement can speak directly with the school. And we have some other areas, participants and observers. Yes, observers, people designated to observe 
what is happening, to write down, to document about these constructs. Role players, a hot wash activity, which happens at the end of the exercise. Improving safety practices, communicating findings back to teachers and parents and also to your school board and how to make it a school board record. We're going to go through a template for how to do both of those. And of course, that bonus activity, the sticky note spree, communications. How are we communicating with our 4K partner sites? What if we have an alternative school that is not on the school campus? How are we communicating with that site or students participating in an off-campus work experience? Also, how are we communicating to parents? Are we using a text messenger? Is that an app? Is it part of our software program? Would it work if the power was out? And how do we message to the community? Is that being done through the media? Who's in charge of that? And what are the messages that we're putting out? Do we have these pre-drafted and we can quickly alter them and, and get them out? Keep it simple. And we want the recipients to give us feedback. If we're sending messages out to parents, we should be contacting parents. Did this message make sense to you? And a parent might say, I had questions about this. I wasn't sure if the school was going to dismiss. Was this all of the school sites or was this just one school site? We want to ask the recipients, did the message make sense? Were you able to retrieve the message? Another construct, incident command system or structure. Again, who has discretion to activate crisis notifications? Who has authority to commit? personnel and assets? Is it the principal? Is it the superintendent? Will the principal wait for approval from the superintendent? Who is in charge and how might that change during an evolving event? Typically, the first law enforcement on-site take over as instant command, but that might change as higher-ranking officials arrive on the scene. Morgan Ballas is a school safety expert. He told me, David, when I asked teachers, the first thing they would do if they discovered a fire on campus, their overwhelming response is, I would call the principal. Another construct is protocols. Where should students and staff go during a severe weather event? Is that the safest location? And how do you know that? Who might assess your location to determine that, yes, in fact, this hallway is the best place to be. That person could be your county's emergency management director, or it could be somebody from your insurance company. I suggest to not include a vendor in making that determination. What was considered best practice 30 years ago might be completely outdated today. For example, when I was in middle school, we were instructed to open windows as the first step of a tornado alert. The belief at the time was that equalizing the pressure on the inside and outside of the building would lessen damage to the structure. That's something we don't do today. Let's talk about intruder protocols. Some schools have protocols where students flee the building. If it's reported that an intruder is on one side of the campus, students on the other side of the campus might be told to flee. And other times, students would be taught to barricade themselves within a classroom. How do they know when to flee or when to barricade? Or maybe to do both. Do the students know that? Does the substitute teacher know that? How about the teacher in charge if the principal's not there? We talked about those two-way radios and how they might not be able to communicate across a campus. 
when you have the radio, what's the protocol? Which channel do you turn to? Do you introduce yourself? Do you say 10-4 when you're done communicating? Is it okay to mention a student's name? Do you give your location? How long should your message be? Go bags for students with medical needs, having those close by, and who grabs the go bag? Whose responsibility is it to check that the go bag has current contents for that student? It could be an EpiPen. It could be an insulin injection or other medication response times. How much time passed between someone becoming aware of an instant and the activation of crisis notification. In other words, how long before someone observes smoke seeping under the door of the mechanical room and the pulling of the fire alarm? This is an advantage in schools due to the high number of people on campus. Think of a house with smoke detectors in every room, not just one smoke detector, but several. That has a big advantage over a house that has a smoke detector on each floor. This is going to be one of our talking points that our students are one of our main sources of identifying when there are safety situations. And how do those students input those concerns so the system of notifying others is activated? How much time has passed between the activation of the notification and emergency responders. We want that time to be as short as possible. And that hinges on people being confident that they have the discretion to activate systems and also that systems aren't too complicated for panicked users. How much time passed for staff and students to evacuate the school or to get to their secured positions for intruders or storms? How much time passed between the 911 call and the emergency responders arriving on scene and then entering the building or impacted area. If you're in a rural area and EMSs volunteer, what additional medical supplies might you want in your schools if it's probable that EMS won't be on scene for 15 minutes or maybe 20 minutes? And if multiple EMS units need to be dispatched to the scene, it could be more than 30 minutes. So how can EMS inform you of what you should have on campus and what those best practices might be, including first aid training, mechanical systems, your public address system, your alarm, strobes, messaging software, door locks, etc. How long would the auxiliary generator operate the school's HVAC? If the power is out, will the school's software system still be able to send out electronic messages to parents? If a door lock malfunctions and it can't be locked, Who's responsible for assessing what needs to happen to fix it? And then what is the time frame to expect the lock to be repaired? And who will sign off that the lock has been fixed? Staging assets. Where did arriving responders park their vehicles and put their equipment? Was that efficient throughout the process? And this is something that would be assessed by the emergency responders, by fire, by police, by EMS, not by school. How were additional resources staged, such as extra emergency responders? Was it effective to have them come on scene? Or would it have been more effective to stage them two blocks away in a parking lot? How about those extra buses? Were they brought on location or kept somewhere else? How were people and equipment staged for possible student guardian reunification? Where do you stage arriving parents, even if you told them not to come to the school? If they show up, where should you have them go? 
Maintain the perimeter. Who determines the perimeter around a crisis scene? How is that communicated to school officials, parents, and the public? And what if the perimeter changes? What if it becomes twice as big? How do you let people know that? How might we deploy best practices in maintaining a perimeter, such as signage, police tape, or tactical communications, de-escalation communications? How might we be proactive and communicate to parents to not rush to the involved school or other schools during a crisis? Sometimes start of the year communication to parents is the prime time to do this, to let parents know if something is happening at a school, a crisis situation, do not come to the school, do not come to other schools. We will lock down the schools, we will keep the schools secure, and we will notify you through our messenger system and through media and through our website on what you can do. If you come to the school, it makes it difficult for emergency responders to have clear access to the school. Our participants will be our faculty and our students. And it's important to have observers. We don't hear about that when we talk about exercises, right? That wasn't in that email that came out from the school to me, but observers are critical to helping inform our learning constructs, our learning objectives. So it's important to obtain feedback from the exercise participants, yes. In addition, designate up to 10 people to observe and document the activities of the crisis. They might wear a vest clearly marked with the word observer. They're not participating and people should walk by them. They're not interacting with the participants. The observers are describing the communications. Is this an orderly process? Is there confusion? They're writing down the times that they're observing certain things. Any trauma-inducing instance, were there efficient interactions between responders and students. So those seven constructs, you can put those on a piece of paper and the observers are writing comments in those and also time stamping. So make sure that they have watches or that maybe they each have an iPad and the iPad is synced up with Google Docs. So they can write down what is happening and that's all going into a centralized document. Put it to the test, figure out what works for you. But you want to have your observers inform those constructs, right? And then that is going to help create something called providence or an order of events. The observer isn't judging. They're not making a right or wrong determination on what is happening. They are only observing and documenting what is happening. Role players. Safety exercises that become too realistic can introduce participants to trauma. We don't want that. But some realism can be valuable to help mitigate probable situations. Having one or two parents arrive at the perimeter clearly mark that they are role-playing as parents and that they are asking, I want to go in. I want to pick up my child. How do I pick up my child from the school? And that the, a school official or a responder needs to then interact with that person. Not that that becomes dramatic, not that somebody tries to push their way through a perimeter, but this is something that happens frequently in crisis situations. So it's best to get ahead of this and to practice this. And this is probably going to be law enforcement. What type of verbal techniques are they going to use? And might they say, okay, stage over there, go over to this building and there'll be somebody there to give you information. And that would be away from the scene. 
So these are things that you want to think about. And also you want to talk to that parent and say, were you, were you frustrated by this? Was the person helpful? Was this, was this assuring? Did they make their point clear to you why you couldn't go up to the school and and pick up your child. Also, consider having somebody from the media there. Yeah, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Have somebody from the media, well, not to cover this, not to write about it as a story, that they could practice interfacing with the responders. They're trying to set up, they're trying to cover this. What makes sense for them that they're not encroaching on this perimeter, that they're not also making it difficult for emergency vehicles and responders to get in and out of the scene? The media will be an asset to you to communicate, to further communicate out what is happening. So consider bringing in somebody from the media and saying, what makes sense for you to stage? And here's our restrictions. How do we work within that? What information is most useful from us? Who's the person that you want to communicate with? Or who's the person that we're going to have communicate with you to make sure that we don't have many different spokespeople from the school or from the emergency response. Again, how do we establish that ICS, who's in charge of that scene from a school side and then from an emergency responder side, and maybe they're communicating out with the media or they designate somebody to be the spokesperson. When the exercise is done, an exercise will likely take 30 to 40 minutes. We want to include participants and observers in what's called a hot wash activity. So this happens right after the exercise. Were people making decisions? Did the exercise move briskly? Any bottlenecks or confusion? Any trauma-inducing incidents? The purpose of the hot wash is to examine what happened, not what should have happened. There's no right or wrong. There's no assigning blame. Nobody's perfect in real time. Maybe a teacher retrieved a two-way radio, but then discovered the battery was dead. We would want to understand why the radio wasn't in the charger cradle or if the battery no longer held a charge. Police might identify that a congested access road near the school might have been improved had the scene perimeter been pushed out by another city block. Maybe it was discovered that older students were very helpful in calming younger students as they waited to board buses. How would we want to convey that out to the older students? What are some things that we could reinforce to them? When you did this, that made a big impact on helping to calm the younger students. Thank you for doing that. And also, again, to practice that behavior, that leadership, that mentoring. Maybe a parent states during the hot wash says, the messaging software, you know, I I got 17 messages and I wasn't sure, should I just be going to the app or should I also be going to the district's webpage? Was school going to be dismissed? And there wasn't a way to contact anybody to clarify, was I supposed to call the school? There were some terms in there, reunification site. I don't know what that means. Will the students be bused to that site? Am I supposed to go to that site? So make sure that your terminology is very clear. So that's what you're asking the parent, right? Did you understand this? Was it clear and concise? Did you have a timeline? If there was something that happened, started at this time, emergency responders arrived at school, the situation is being addressed by emergency responders. As a parent, this is what you need to do. Now, after this whole exercise is done, we're going to get into this in just a little bit. So this is an exercise, right, that we communicate back to parents. Here's the purpose of this exercise. Again, I have that email that 
came out from the school. They were going to conduct a drill, but then I didn't receive afterwards an email saying, here's what we learned. Let's revisit those three overarching themes. You want to broadly document these during your hot wash. Discretion. Hmm. Maybe there was in-the-moment application of discretion. A teacher led her students to the evacuation site, but it was occupied by a fire truck. So she made an in-the-moment decision to relocate 50 feet away onto some pavement. She didn't have that cleared through a principal. She felt that she had discretion to make that decision. Our decision-making in general, do people feel confident in decision-making? Were we making decisions at a brisk pace and induction? How was this for people who had never participated in any other safety activities? What did we learn here? What would be things we'd want to take away and share with people who might be new to our district next week? Let's revisit those seven objectives of the exercise. Communications, instant command system, protocols, response times, mechanical systems, staging assets, maintaining the perimeter. So we're going to have information now from our participants and also our observers to help us better understand how things went in each of these categories. And if we do another exercise and another exercise, we'll be able to compare between exercises. Also, we want to have time in the hot wash for people to ask questions. And if we don't have answers to those questions, of course, we will get back to people. We'll take a look back at the different decisions that were made in different activities that unfolded throughout the exercise. Our observers were writing down the time that things happened. On screen is a time log documenting what happened throughout a crisis activity. Now, this is from an exercise that I conducted this fall centered on a power outage. At the one-minute mark, the superintendent asked the buildings and grounds director to confirm power outages in all of the buildings. So as we go through here, we can see how an instant evolved and the decisions that were made and the activities carried out. Here are the things that we want to examine when we look at the decisions that were made. Did we inventory our decisions? At the two minute and 45 second mark, the superintendent contacted law enforcement for an update. How long might the power be out? What were some of the other options? Contact the other buildings, the other sites, including the 4K partner sites, and to inform them that yes, the superintendent was aware of the power outage. And the superintendent was contacting law enforcement and would be conveying information back out to the school, the individual schools, the individual sites. Communication is vital in the first 15 minutes. Make sure that you're communicating to your sites, that your staff is communicating with your students, and then also that your messaging system is clearly communicating with your parents and with your community. In this visual, at the 14 minute and 40 second mark, the decision was made to contact the 4K sites and to notify them that PM 4K would be canceled. It might be better to move that earlier in the process, that communication with the 4K partner sites. What were our options and what opportunities did we have to communicate? So when we do the next exercise, we're focusing strongly on communication at the onset of the exercise. Did we notify our leaders at other school locations of what was happening? 
How about itinerant staff who travel between buildings? What message did we send to staff, students, and parents? Look for opportunities to restate main points in communications. You are adding to a timeline. This helps counter hearsay narratives that spread quickly on social media. Here's what we initially became aware of. The power went out at this time. And this was our response. And then here's what we did next. So when you do a follow-up communication, you can continue to build on that and say, for those of you joining us just now or who didn't receive the earlier communications, we became aware of the power outage across the district at this time. And then we took these steps. And now we're at this step. Inform your safety practices. How will this exercise improve school safety, right? That's what it's all about. Some participants said, younger students and students with autism were apprehensive or scared of emergency responders. To mitigate that apprehension, consider having emergency responders visit schools during fire prevention month or even more frequently throughout the year. Bring in the fire trucks and the ambulance and the police car and people tend to fear the unknown, so make it a known. Open up the doors on the fire truck and show what's inside and why it's useful during a crisis. Communicate findings. Within the first 72 hours, recap the objectives and answer questions. Be succinct. That's two pages. Include photos to provide context. Share with the community via local newspaper, school website, and school newsletter. And check for readability. Have a few people read it over, have a parent read it, and ask, does this make sense? Is there jargon in here? Communicate findings. So we talked about doing that within 72 hours. That conveys that this is important. We went over this. It wasn't a checkbox activity. Here's a two-page template of headings for that report to staff and families. So again, imagine that this comes out to you within 72 hours of your student participating in a safety exercise. Or as a staff member, this comes out to you. Or as somebody who lives close by the schools or a community member, here are the headings. A description of the exercise. This exercise was done to improve safety. Participants, all sites involved, including, right, our 4K community sites. And it might just be that that site was made aware of what was happening at other sites. We want all of our sites to know if something sentinel is happening in the district. What we monitored, our learning objective areas, our hot wash, include participants' quotes. So I like to do this. I, for this short one, this two-page, maybe three quotes, maybe a participant, an adult participant, a student, and an emergency responder. A teacher might note that taping basic directions on the back of the two-way radio, such as which channel to turn to and how to use communication protocol was helpful. Identify three things that you're going to do as next steps. You might have more than that, but just identify three and make them relatable, something that parents would understand. An example, when new students come to the school, we are going to assign them a drill buddy or an exercise buddy for the first month. And that person will help that student to understand how safety things are done around here. Next steps, we are going to check our batteries on all of our two-way radios 
communicate findings, template for a report to the Board of Education, recap the objectives, and then answer the questions, be succinct, include photos, but not with personal identifiers, and photos establish context. So remember that what we just did, that two-page document, within 72 hours, you're emailing that out to staff, you're sending that out to parents, you're getting that back to the participants of the exercise. They're probably sharing that out right on their sites that they participate on this. Maybe they're putting it on their social media. But you also want to do a more comprehensive presentation to your board of education, a written summary, an assessment. And that would be what's called a monitoring report. Either your director of safety or your school superintendent would assemble that and it would be included in the consent agenda at a board meeting. Note all relevant school policies that apply to the exercise and also laws. Some states require that school districts report their exercise activity summary to the Office of School Safety. So looking at what we have in front of us, if this is a four-page report to the Board of Education, we would have one event photo to set the scene. Right here, we have a photo of stage vehicles outside of a school. People would recognize that. They're going to know which school that is. A description of our exercise. And then also the purpose. The safety exercise served to validate plans. Okay, validate plans. So maybe that's not going to be clear. Validate plans. Maybe it's to practice our plans. Or maybe it's to check how well our plans work. Well, maybe that's what we should write because that'll be easier to convey, easier to understand. But validate plans, policies, procedures, clarify roles and responsibilities, and identify gaps and resources. It involves school staff, students, emergency responders, parents, and the media reacting to a simulated crisis, practicing the response to specific emergency conditions. On pages two and three, write one paragraph about what was learned for the three overarching themes. We have discretion, decision-making, and induction. And also your seven constructs, our seven categories, communications, instant command, structure, protocols, response times, mechanical systems, staging assets, and maintaining the perimeter. Page four, our hot wash, put three photos taken during the exercise with descriptive labels. This provides context. It's also accessibility for people who have print barriers and might have this read to them by a screen reader. Put a one sentence quote as we talked about from an adult participant, a student, an observer, a parent, and police. So you'd have five of those. That again conveys that you're listening people and listening to people and people are informing your process. And then your three next steps, maybe training on radio communications. It could be school safety social stories for students with autism. A social story explains a social situation to autistic children and helps them understand, helps them learn ways of behaving in these situations. These stories are sometimes called social scripts. Social narratives are story-based interventions, and they're very effective. Social stories is a trademark and originated and owned by Carol Gray. So look into the work of Carol Gray. A teacher could demonstrate a school safety social story to the Board of Education while this report is being given. Finally, document how the exercise promoted compliance with Board of Education policies, safety regulations, and inclusion of students with disabilities and safety activities, including ADA Chapter 7 Addendum 2, which requires that all students participate in all 
safety instruction and safety activities. Okay, so here's the boil down version of it. Our four page template headings. Share this with your district. If you're an administrator, put this in the practice. Here are your headings. You're answering each of these. One, you're describing the exercise. Two, purpose of the exercise. Again, focusing on the purpose is improvement. This photo is taken from our local fire department's website on an activity that they did with the school. Page two, areas monitored, discretion, decision-making, induction. Start with your learning objectives, communications, instant command structure. Go on to page three, learning objectives, protocols, response times, mechanical systems, staging assets, maintain the perimeter. Again, you're writing about a paragraph for each of those. And on the right, that's a picture of one of the door locks. So you're providing context as you go with this, just not print. You can use bullet points too, but four pages, not longer than four pages, and use these headings. It'll be very easy for people to navigate. This will make sense to parents. This will be valuable to have on your website of here's what we learned afterwards. Here's what we were examining. Here's how the exercise helped us to better understand these areas. And now here's what we're doing going forward. Here's how we're adjusting things. Hot wash and feedback quotes, next steps, and alignment with policies and laws. There you go. Those are your headings. You can put that together. You should put that together. Have that presented to the board. Have it put into consent agenda. Have that emailed to parents. Do the two-page right away within 72 hours That going back. But then this is following. This would be perhaps a following board meeting in a few weeks. But this is powerful. Share this out with the other participating agencies, the police, the fire, EMS, emergency response from the county, and ask them to share this out through their social media platforms and through their regular meetings. So I shared at the start that there was a bonus activity, and here it is. Here's the bonus activity. So for a school principal, grab a stack of sticky notes, enough for all of your staff at a staff meeting. And at the end of the staff meeting, have everyone take one sticky note and write their name on it. And then give this directive on your way back to your classroom, put the sticky note on the fire alarm pull box that is closest to your room. Then five minutes later, go through and take snapshots of each of those fire alarm poles and check those names and check with staff. Did it, what did they find out? Maybe staff will share, you know what? I didn't know that the closest pole alarm was right around the hallway. What if you have staff that taught on one side of the school for the last eight years and now have a new classroom? This might be the first time that they're really aware of where that fire alarm pole box is. Use different colored post-it notes, different staff meetings, and do a similar approach for the AEDs and for fire extinguishers. When you've done this, staff now have taken inventory of these essential assets. Wow, that was fast and it was just a few sticky notes. This is incredibly impactful for schools to do this. Again, teachers who are in a school for a long time might not pay attention to where these things are located. And think about teachers who go between schools, itinerant staff, when they come to a school, they work with students in a certain area. 
and they're not really paying attention to where the AED is in that area. So this brings awareness to that. Where is that asset? Now, this might sound like it's too easy, but it actually is very effective. And this is a great starting point for all schools. I just talked about the importance of taking inventory of your essential safety assets. And actually, I learned this from a fire department. So this fire department would deliver pizzas, yeah, pizzas, to homes. They would go to the local pizzerias and they would take orders. And then for a little bit of extra money, this pizza would be delivered right to your house. And here are some kids. And if you look at the sign that that girl is holding up, she said, thank you, fire department. And there's actually a slice of pizza on there. So, well, why do this? Why take expensive fire equipment and firefighters time to go and deliver pizzas? Well, here's why. The purpose of this event is to help firefighters become aware of hydrants and water sources near properties and also positive community outreach and positive interactions with emergency responders and their potentially imposing fire apparatus. You can see those kids, that is, they're very excited, but there the fire truck is with the lights on and this is a successful interaction. Why bring the fire truck again? So the children become aware of the equipment, it's not intimidating. And then also for the firefighters that they know where they might stage a large piece of equipment close to a water source. So yeah, I took that from the firefighters delivering pizza, but it works really well when you convert it into that sticky notes in school. All right, everybody, let's do our part in contributing to school safety. Thank you. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.